All right, uh, really quick, who of you in here can remember what Ben talked about last week? Do you guys remember? Ben, you don't count. Uh, who, who remembers what Ben talked about last week? Anybody remember? No takers? Hold on, I'm tra- taking forever to get here. You remember? You remember. All right, what did Ben talk about? Oh, you have notes. <laughs> All right, what did Ben talk about? Yep, what did Ben talk about? There's two, uh, that's, that's right, but there's two words, and well, really this idea that Ben talked about last week, do you guys remember what it was? Starts with an H, two words, starts with an H. What? <laughs> yep, hypostatic union. <laughs> so he talked about this idea of the hypostatic union. Do you guys remember what that is? If you can tell me what that is, you get 10 points. 10 free points up for grabs. Boom. So this idea of the hypostatic union is this idea that there's two natures, yet one person. One nature being completely 100% man, and the other nature being 100% God. Yet these two things aren't separate. They're in one person. Just think about that. I have one nature. Anybody have two natures in the room? Any takers? I got one nature. Christ said two, but it was in one person. So if you have your Bibles, this isn't the main text for tonight, but open up to 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, and this will be really quick. Candace is not on there, so don't worry about it. 2 Peter chapter 1. Um, and this is really going to help us understand the fact that Jesus was 100% God before we get into this other part. Jesus was 100% God. So let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1. And it's in verse 1. You guys there? Here we go. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's it. So there's two words here, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this is... To kind of help you understand here, this verse is saying completely that God, that Jesus was 100% God. This word here uh, for God is used for other places in the New Testament where we read about God the Father, not God the Son. So this word God here, both this word God and the word Savior are both um, modifying the word Jesus Christ. Who knows what the adjective is? Raise your hand. What's an adjective? Yep, keep going. It describes a what? A noun, right? So an, ad, an adverb describes the action, all right, of a verb. The adjective describes the, or modifies a noun. The noun here is Jesus Christ. It's the subject here. So this word God and Savior are both modifying, both attracted to this idea of Jesus Christ. So if anybody ever asks you, Jesus isn't God, is he? You can take him right here our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we see here that God is 100%, or Jesus is 100% God. And at the same time, he's a 100% human. So for the rest of our time tonight, we're going to talk about the idea of prayer. And Jesus prayed. Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, prayed. 
So we have this idea that God, Jesus is 100% God and Jesus is 100% human. And it's in this realm of humanity that we see Jesus praying. So, we're going to now turn to, just go ahead and turn out your Bible. This is our main passage for tonight. Luke chapter 11. All right, we're not moving anywhere else. Luke chapter 11. So in this passage, we talk, Jesus talks about prayer. He really under, un, uh, unpacks what prayer is for his disciples. Now Luke, the writer of this gospel, loves to talk about prayer. He really does. He loves to highlight the prayer life of Jesus. So there's three instances that he does that. In Luke chapter 6, before Jesus chose his, his 12 disciples, listen to what he said. He said, in those days, this is speaking of Jesus, he went out to the mountain to pray. All night, he continued in prayer to God. In Luke chapter 9, verse 18, it says, now it happened that he was praying alone, speaking of Jesus again. And in Luke chapter 5, we read about Jesus' ministry, and it was growing, and it was getting bigger and bigger. People wanted to know this new teacher and what he was doing. Yet despite Jesus' ministry growing, listen to what Luke says. In chapter, in chapter 5, verse 15, it says, But he would withdraw himself to, a desolate, to desolate, desolate places and pray. So even though Jesus had this increasing opportunity to, to minister and to help people, he would step away and he would pray. So here's this reality that we have to wrestle with uh, tonight. If Jesus, the Son of God, who is God in the flesh and is 100% human at the same time, if he prayed, ought not you and I do the same thing? Ought we pray too? So if Jesus prayed, you and I ought to as well. So before we start anything tonight, what level do you place priority to prayer. Is it down here? Like, oh, I sometimes pray. Or is it up here? You never leave your closet and you're praying like 24 hours straight. Just boom. What, what level do you place prayer? Is it up here or is it down here? And so I pray that as tonight, as we continue on and talk for a little bit, that God would ignite, if it's not there, it would ignite a passion in your heart to pray. That he would do something in your heart tonight that he's never done before. That he would do something and to cause you to desire to pray. So let's look at Luke chapter 11. All right. We'll start from verse 1 and we'll go all the way to verse 13. It's kind of long, but it's actually a really good story. All right. So chapter 1 or uh, verse 1 says this. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine that has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. 
The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Verse 8, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, some translation might say persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. But everyone, for everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So seeing seeing the amount of time that Jesus spent to pray, His disciples were then led to ask this question, or asking this, Lord, teach us to pray. I think it's a really good question for us to, to ask. Lord, would you teach us to pray? I mean, how many times do you just sit, you know, on your bed or wherever you're at and in your car or wherever, and you're just like, what do, what do I pray for? I mean, it happens to me all the time, but what do I pray for? So it's a good question for us to ask. Lord, teach us what to pray. Now, I think it's funny. Listen, they waited. Did you, did you notice they waited till after he had finished? You see, it, it says, and when he had finished one of the disciples said to him, I get nervous interrupting anybody during prayer. Let me just be honest. I wouldn't want to be the guy interrupting Jesus when he was praying. I wouldn't want to be, hey, Jesus, excuse me. (laughs) And Jesus is over here, you know, praying. I wouldn't want to be that guy. You know, that'd be horrible. So I think it's just real interesting that they waited until after Jesus prayed to ask them this question, Lord, teach us to pray. And this, when he, when this, this word for teach here is really interesting. It's actually used in the imperative. It's a, it's a command. These disciples are, in a sense, asking God in a command form. Lord, teach us to pray. But it's emphatic. It's mean, it's, they're, they're wanting to know, Lord, teach us to pray. God, we really, really, really want to know what it means to pray. So that's the, that's the emphasis this, his disciples wanted to know how to pray. So after asking that question, then Jesus gives them a short little four-verse model prayer to pray, and then he goes into this parable to teach them more about prayer. So we've been saying, it'll be on the screen, we've been saying a parable is this. Voila! Oh, it's not out there? All right. So here's a parable. You guys remember the, the, the definition? It is a small story with huge significance for my life. So in these little verses here of Jesus telling this story about this guy coming and this guy not answering the door because his friend was hungry, this whole story has huge significance for our life. And so as we go through it, I hope we can dig out these truths for our life. So I have three things I want to talk about tonight. Number one, God wants you to pray. I mean, that's kind of assumed, right? But God, I think we have to say it, God wants you to pray. And I know this because in verse 2 when he says, 
And he said to them, this is Jesus, he says, when you pray. He didn't say, if you want to pray, say. He said, when you pray. It was assumed that Jesus knew that his disciples were going to pray. So God wants you to pray. Literally, it means whenever. Whatever time of the day, whenever you pray. So underneath this, this, this thing that Jesus said, when you pray, is assumed that God wants us, you and I as his disciples, as his followers, to pray. But prayer is not something we simply tag on to a mealtime. It's not something we do before we go to bed. No, prayer is this ongoing habit in the life of a Jesus follower, right? It's something we always do. It's moment by moment, moment by moment as we live our day. We learn how, what, how to pray. We learn what it means to pray. Prayer is not something we do when we wake up, God be with me today, and we put it on our shelf and we go throughout our day. It's not something we come to the end of our day and we lay our head, heads down on the day, God, I pray today it was a good day, and then we close our eyes and go to sleep. No, prayer is an ongoing, moment-by-moment thing that we have to cultivate in our lives. You know, so oftentimes we don't have this desire to pray, right? I mean, am I the only one that is like, I really don't feel like praying right now. But we have to ask God because we know our own heart. Our own hearts don't want to pray. Our natural tendency is not to pray. Ought that not cause us to pray? <laughs> Lord, give me a heart to pray. So here's what I challenge you to do. Whenever you are in this situation or whatever you're at and you don't want to pray, ask God to give you the desire to pray. Because you know in asking him to give you the desire to pray, you know what you're doing? You're praying. When you're asking God, Lord, give me the desire to pray, you're praying. So we need to do that. We need to pray. Sometimes we might pray if we have this big test coming up. We might pray. Sometimes we'll pray even in the smaller things in life. We might pray. We might pray when huge intersections of life and big decisions come. We might pray. But here's what the Bible says. And this is going to, I don't think these are on the screen, but I'm just going to read for you three verses that really talk about this idea of continual ongoing prayer. In Ephesians chapter 6, you can write these down. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18 says this. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18, it says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In Colossians chapter 4, if you are with us in the main service a few weeks ago, you, we've, we talked about this. It says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So the Bible assumes that the life of a Jesus follower will be lived out in constant communication and dependence on God in prayer. So here's my question to you. Why don't you pray? If we could be real honest in this moment right now. Don't say, don't, don't, lay, don't raise your hand and say, I don't pray because blank. But in your heart, why don't you Pray. Is it because you, and here's what I think. I think we have the habit of not praying because we really don't know who we're praying to. 
I don't think we pray all the time because we don't know who we're praying to. Here's who we're praying to. We're praying God to God, who is our Father. One of the sweetest names for God in the Bible is the name of Father. This communicates this idea that God loves and cares and protects and provides and teaches and leads and guides his children. So when Jesus says this in verse 2, when you pray, say, Father. Here's what he's saying. This word is like today's word for daddy. You hear the affection in that word? When Sometimes when we pray, I think we have to, you know, we're sitting here like, like this. Um, holy God. <laughs> you know, that's not what we're doing when we pray, right? Here's how we should pray. We should pray knowing who God is. He's our father who loves and cares for and protects and leads and guides his children. That's who we're praying to. That's who we're praying to. So we learn that we are to come to God with this affection that a little boy or a little girl has for their daddy. A child, yes, a child does recognize dad's authority, right? What dad says goes. A child recognizes the rulership of God, of, of, of their dad. But yet at the same time, a child also rests so comfortable in the fact that their dad loves them and cares for them unconditionally. Their daddy cares for them when they are sick and weak. Their daddy protects them from life's dangers. Their daddy teaches them when they don't know what to do. Their daddy even lovingly corrects them when they do something wrong because it's for their ultimate good. What a, what a picture for us, right? To know that God is our father. We need to recognize at this point who God is. God is our loving heavenly father. He is our authority and our ruler. But he's our father whose love for us comes from a well that is so deep that it will never dry up. Nothing can dry up the well of God's love for you and I. Nothing can. So that's the person we're praying to. We're praying to God as our, as our Father. So here's my question for you. Do you know God as your Father? Do you know Him as your Lord? Do you know, do you know God? Do you know who God is? Here's what we need to start implementing in our lives. We need to start implementing that prayer recognizes that God is our Father. Prayer that is filled with all the affection and love that a little boy or a little girl has for their daddy. Here's would be a great prayer to start off for you. If you have never prayed to God like this, if you just have seen God as this God so far away from you, Here's what we can start praying. Father, would you help me? It's this idea of a little, it'll help you kind of picture it. It's this little idea of this boy or girl coming to their dad and asking for help. You know, they're probably like three or four year, you know, years, years old and they just reach up for their dad and say, Dad, can you, can you help me? What a picture for us, right? We need to recognize that God is our Father. So I'm giving you three I pray 
quote-unquote, statements at the end of each one of these. Here's your first one. I pray knowing God is my Father. That is the attitude of our hearts when we pray. We know that God is our Father. Number two. So I'm building a statement here. God wants you to pray. He wants you to pray hard. And so this story from verse 5 to basically verse uh, verse 8 is talking about this idea that for most of us in the room is completely foreign to us, right? How many times have you had a friend come to your door and ask, I need some bread, right? I've never had that happen to me. So we need to understand the context in which Jesus was actually talking with his disciples here. So here's the context here. In the Middle East, hospitality is everything. Hospitality is everything. This is no matter what time of the day it is either. So usually, because it was so hot in the Middle East, here's what they would do. They wouldn't travel by day, but they would travel by night. So it wasn't uncommon for people to come and do this. Knock on the door asking for bread. So we read this parable about a man who has a friend who had just finished a long journey. This man was hosting his friend who had just finished her journey, went and asked a friend for some bread. And did you notice what time of night it was? It was midnight. Verse 5. We will go to him at midnight. So this was late. Like, I'm not answering the door for Jack squat, unless it's the cops, for Jack or the fire department. At midnight. Like, I am staying to bed. I am tired. I'm not getting up for anybody. I go to bed at like 8.30 every day, and I'm like an old man. I'm not, I'm not kidding. <laughs> so I'm not getting up at midnight, and neither was this guy. This guy was not getting up. The kids were in bed. All the stuff, you know, for him to make bread, that was all put away. He's like, I'm not getting up. I'm too tired. But he does eventually get up, doesn't he? In verse 8, this is, this is why he eventually got up. He says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So this guy's not getting up because he knows this guy. He's getting up because this guy is knocking on the door and not stopping. This word impudence means shameless persistence. So because of this guy's shameless persistence knocking on the door, because of his ruthlessness, because he didn't stop, he finally answered the door and gave him whatever he needed. So here's the picture for you and us tonight. If this man in the story finally got up and gave this guy whatever he needed, how much more when we go to God and knock will he give give us what we need? If this guy will eventually get up and give his friend what he needs, how much more will our loving Heavenly Father give us what we need? So here's what I want to encourage you to do as we continue on. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. This idea of this continual action of prayer is really carried on to verse 9. Look at it with me. And this is Jesus saying, drawing some truth out from this parable. He says, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. All these things communicate this idea of continual, ongoing, never-ending asking of God. 
you might be asking this question, why shouldn't we stop? Why should we keep on praying? This is why. We pray knowing that God hears our prayer. We pray knowing, yes, that God is our Father, but we also know praying that he hears everything. Do you hear it? Do you see it in verse 10? So after he says, and it'll be open to you, there's this little three-letter word that says, for. Everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it'll be open. So we never stop praying because we know, we know deep at the core of who we are, we are being heard. Listen, God never turns a deaf ear to your prayer. God always hears your prayer. Always. He never not hears your prayer. So I pray statement number two. I pray, yes, knowing God is my heavenly father, but I pray also knowing that God hears me. I know we can get so discouraged sometimes, right, when we pray, and sometimes what we pray doesn't happen. But let that, let that not deter us away from praying. Just because God doesn't answer our prayer right away doesn't mean he doesn't hear us. Keep praying. Don't stop praying. I was reading a book earlier today. This guy, uh, his name is George Mueller. You probably never heard of him before. He had been praying for something for 19 years and didn't stop. He was praying for the salvation of souls of friends that he knew for 19 years and he didn't stop. Most of you haven't been alive for 19 years, so that's hard for you to fathom. I've been, I've been, I was, okay, 19 years, I was five. Don't stop praying. Pray hard. So number three, God wants you to pray hard with confidence. So this idea that God is our father, again, comes back into view. So in verse 11 through 13, okay, this whole parable has been, a one big argument on Jesus' behalf. Jesus was saying, if this guy finally answered the door, how much more then will your heavenly father give you what you need? And so verse 11 through 13 is another one of those many arguments. What father, this is verse 11, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So let me illustrate this for you, okay? So let's go back. Think about it when you were five. Can anybody remember that far back? Anybody have like any vivid memories from when you were five years old? (laughs) Alex does. Okay, great. So I have a memory. My earliest memory is probably when I was four. I had a birthday party at McDonald's and I got a car. That was pretty awesome. Not a car, but like a little kind of car. So we're going to go we're going to go way back. So when you and I were little, most of us had probably asked this question. Dad, can I have some ice cream or Dad, can I have some cake? Now, let's remember. Let's let's think about this. Say this was at like 9 o'clock at night. Would your dad give you ice cream? My dad wouldn't, but your dad might. A dad in his right mind wouldn't give his kid ice cream at 9 o'clock. Why? Cuz they're going to bed, right? It's 9 o'clock at night. Kids are going to be jacked up on sugar for the last for the next hour and a half and they're not going to go to bed. So in the response 
of the request of his children. Their dad would not give them ice cream. Let's think about this. What dad in his right mind, going back to our story here, would give their child, instead of a bowl of ice cream, what dad in in his right mind would give them a bowl of nails instead? Would a dad do that? Answer the question. No, why? Because they didn't ask for that. And they'll do harm to his child, right? Don't eat a bowl of nails. Don't go out here and try to eat a bowl of glass or anything. It's not going to do any do you any good, I promise. Or what dad in his right mind, wait for it, wait for it, what dad in his right mind would give a chewy piece of motor oil pie? It's kind of an inside joke. Don't worry about it. That's unthinkable, right? It's not going to happen. He's not going to do that. But that's what Jesus was saying to his disciples. Do you, did you hear that? What father among you, think about this, what father among you when his son asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent or a snake. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. The answer of his disciples at this point is, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to give, when my kid asks me for something good, I'm not going to give him something bad. Do you hear this? When his kid asks for a fish, he's not going to give him a snake. Why? Well, one, it's not what he asked for. Number two, it's bad for him. So it's not going to happen. The disciples knew this. So this is what Jesus is saying to us. If our earthly parents know how to give us good things, how much more does our loving, gracious, good, heavenly Father know how to give us good things? That's the argument here. So how do we apply this? Does God, here's a question for you I want you to think about. Does God always answer every prayer that we ask of him? Does God always answer every prayer that we ask of him? There's no such thing as unanswered prayer. God always answers our prayer with either a yes or no. There's no such thing as unanswered prayer prayer but obviously it's not always going to be the answer we hoped for right i mean i can remember so many things that i've asked for that i didn't get i'll just kind of I'll, I'll give you a little short story here i prayed i pursued um law enforcement for about three years okay and i got close i got really close to taking the test and going through the academy and all that for three years and i prayed and i'm like lord if this is your will would you allow this to happen for three years, I pursued that. And the end of those three years, here's what the Lord said. He said, nope. I'm going to shut this door on this desire that you have because I have something way better for you. Now, in that moment, I really wanted to go do this. I went on several different ride-alongs where you can go ride in the police car and have a, a awesome time. It was so awesome. I took a test. I was this close. I could have taken the test, but it was two days before my 21st birthday. And I couldn't take the test. I really wanted this. But the Lord knew something that I didn't. He knew that that wasn't the best for me. Now, can I tell you why? Nope. I have no idea why. He said that's not the best for you. But I know it's true. 
So what in your life have you been praying for? That God is showing you, I don't, I don't want you to go this way, but I want you to go this way. Because going this way isn't my best for you. You might think it is, but I want you to go this way instead. For some of you, going to college, what are you going to do when you get there? Are you going to go this way? What you think is best, what you desire? Are you going to go this way? Because he always knows what best, what's best. Now I understand this. I understand that not every parent that is represented in the room is like what we've been talking about, our good earthly parents. Some of you, honestly, might have not ever met your father. Some of you might know your father, but not have any relationship with him. Some of you might not even know who your parents are at all. So I'm not oblivious to the state of the family in this culture today. Some of you have come from homes that have been literally ripped apart because of divorce. So the state of the family is not what it used to be. And so when I say something about our earthly parents giving us something good, don't let your mindset of how you see your earthly parents, how they have maybe abandoned you. Don't place that view over top of God. Your view of your parents or the lack of the relationship or the abandonment that you might have experienced, don't let that idea of parent cloud your view of God. Why? Because God is your perfect heavenly father. God is not like your earthly parents that have abandoned you for selfish reasons. God will never abandon you. God is not like your earthly parents who will tell you to live up to a certain standard or else they're not going to love you. God's standard is Christ, not you. So his love is unconditional for his children. God is the greatest, the greatest, absolutely greatest heavenly father. He's the greatest father in all the universe. So I pray statement number three. I pray knowing God has my absolute best in mind. So here's what this means. The fact that God is our father who wants to hear us pray hard with the utmost confidence to remind us of this fact. This is the idea I want you to walk away with tonight. We never lose when we pray. The idea that God is our perfect heavenly father that always gives us what's best, always gives his children what is best for them, communicates that God, that we never lose when we pray. We never lose when we pray. I heard this one time. In prayer, you either get what you ask for or you get something better. Might that be the culture in which our youth group, which you guys start to live in. In prayer, you either either get what you ask for, which is God's best, if he gives it to you, or you get something better. And that better might be no. Whatever you're praying for right now, if he says no, that's better. Just know that. 
If he says no, or maybe even says not yet, know that that's better. Know that that is better. When God says no to something, here's what he's actually saying. Son or daughter, I'm saying no because I'm protecting you. There's grace when God says no to something you pray for. God's not saying no because he wants to see you suffer. God's saying no because I want you to have something better. And what you're asking for is not my best. And actually, I'm protecting you from yourself. Do you think about that? When God says no to something, he's protecting you. So you just, do you see this fatherly, affectionate heart that God has for you? He's your perfect heavenly father. So would we have a passion to pray, to pursue God desperately in prayer, knowing these three things, knowing who you're praying to, God is your father. Knowing that you are being heard, that God, as your loving heavenly father, always has your and my best in mind. So we're going to do this really simply. We've been talking about prayer. Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads and we'll pray. And here's what I want to do. As we pray tonight, I want to walk us through three things. So in the quietness, the stillness of this moment, Maybe today, this is, might be the first time you actually did pray. Here's what I want, you, want us to do. Three things. Number one, I want you to thank God right now. That he is your heavenly father who deeply loves you and cares for you. So take the next 30 seconds. And thank God for who he is. Let's also thank God that he's hearing your prayers right now. God is hearing your prayers. Thank him for that. thank God they always without a doubt can take this to the bank that he always has your best in mind even when it's a no or not yet whatever that might look like in your life I don't know it's always for your best
the Apostle Paul probably writes one of the most assuring verses in all the Bible for us. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Good and the bad, the no, the not yet, the yes is working together for your good and His ultimate glory. So Lord, we do thank you tonight. We thank you that you're our Father. Lord, who hears us when we pray. God, thank you that in prayer we either get what we ask for We get something better. God, we never lose when we pray. Even the no or the not yet is your grace towards us. God, would you help us wrap our minds around that tonight? There's something that you want to do in the no and the not yet. There's something you want to do in us, Lord, when you say no or not yet. And that's to cause us to be more dependent on you. Lord, so create among us a desperate pursuit of God in prayer. Would this group of students in this room tonight be known for how they pray? God, we ask you for big things. I've been convicted that, God, we only pray for small things so often. But God, seeing you in light of who you are, we ought to pray so big. Lord, so would you help us to not limit who you are by the prayers we pray? God, you are God of the universe. Therefore, no prayer can be big enough so God we are desperate for you we are Lord we want to worship you in this moment we recognize who you are our father who loves us and always has what's best for his children so we pray these things together tonight in Christ's name Amen. Let's stand together and sing.